Hello and welcome to the Indiana Lawyer Podcast, your source for news in Hoosier Law, brought to you by Taft. I'm Jordan Morey, Managing Editor of Indiana Lawyer and your host. Thanks for joining us. Today is our last episode of 2022, and we're going to go out with a bang, bringing you headlines about judicial confirmations, abortion litigation, the Delphi murder case, and more. And after, we chat with our publisher, Nate Feltman, about his background in the law and his views on the state of journalism. So let's get started. Today is Wednesday, December 14th, 2022, and these are your headlines. Let's start off in Washington, D.C., where history was made this month on the Indiana federal judiciary. On December 5th, Judge Doris Pryor was confirmed to the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, filling the Indiana seat that will open up when Judge David Hamilton takes senior status. A native of Arkansas, Pryor earned her law degree at Indiana University Mauer School of Law in 2003, then returned to Indiana in 2006 to work in the Southern District U.S. Attorney's Office. Her most recent role has been as a magistrate judge in the Indiana Southern District Court, where she served since 2018. Pryor's confirmation is notable for multiple reasons. First, she was confirmed with a 60-31 to 31 vote, a bipartisan showing of support for a judicial nominee that's been rare in recent years. That support included both of Indiana's Republican senators, Todd Young and Mike Braun. Second, and perhaps most importantly, Pryor's confirmation marks a significant diversity milestone for the Seventh Circuit. Here's Young introducing Pryor to the Senate Judiciary Committee back in July, when he discussed the wide support for Pryor's nomination and the historic nature of her appointment. Since her name came up, I've heard an outpouring of support from across the Indiana legal community, including a diverse array of support letters that have been provided to this committee. I'd also be remiss if I failed to mention the historic nature of this appointment. If confirmed, Judge Pryor will be the first African-American from Indiana ever to serve on the Seventh Circuit. The Indiana Southern District Court has already selected a new magistrate judge to take Pryor's spot, M. Kendra Klump, an assistant U.S. attorney for the Indiana Southern District Court. Shifting gears to state court, we have yet another update for you about the ongoing legal battle over Indiana's new near-total abortion ban. The ban had already been enjoined since September on Indiana constitutional grounds, but a second lawsuit challenged the ban on religious freedom grounds. On December 2nd, Marion Superior Court Judge Heather Welch entered a second injunction against the abortion law, determining it violates the state's Religious Freedom Restoration Act. The second lawsuit was filed by the group Hoosier Jews for Choice and by five anonymous plaintiffs, who argued the abortion ban, which would only allow the procedure within narrow limits, violated their religious beliefs. That includes the belief that life begins at birth, not conception, and that denying a pregnant woman the ability to obtain an abortion interferes with every person's inherent worth and dignity. The abortion law is already set to go before the Indiana Supreme Court next month in the case proceeding under the Indiana Constitution. But that's not the only abortion-related news we have to report. Here's Indiana lawyer editor Olivia Covington with the latest in a legal battle between the Indiana Attorney General and a prominent abortion doctor. The name Dr. Caitlin Bernard is a pretty common one on our website these days, as she and Indiana Attorney General Todd Rakita have been in a public battle over abortion-related issues since July. Here's a quick recap. In July, the Indianapolis Star published an article about Bernard, a doctor with IU Health who revealed that she had performed an abortion on a 10-year-old Ohio girl. The girl came to Indiana for the procedure because she could no longer get an abortion in Ohio after Roe v. Wade was overturned. 
The article ignited a media firestorm, and Rakita, a staunchly anti-abortion Republican, jumped into the fray and announced on Fox News that he was investigating Bernard for possible violations of patient privacy and abuse reporting regulations. From there, Bernard and Rokita engaged in a public back and forth that included a cease and desist letter, a tort claim notice, and ultimately a lawsuit against Rokita and a division director in his office. In the lawsuit, Bernard and her medical partner, Dr. Amy Caldwell, asked a judge to prevent Rokita's office from pursuing investigations into consumer complaints filed against them. With that background in mind, here are the latest updates. On November 30th, Rakita filed an administrative action against Bernard's medical license with the Indiana Medical Licensing Board. Like he first said back in the summer, the complaint claims Bernard violated patient privacy regulations by discussing the Ohio girl's case with the media. Also, he claims Bernard failed to properly report the rape of the Ohio girl to Indiana authorities. Two days later, on December 2nd, Marion Superior Court Judge Heather Welch issued an order denying Bernard's request for an injunction against Rokita, but also finding that Rokita violated Indiana law by discussing his investigation with the media. Both parties claimed the ruling as a victory. Then on December 8th, Bernard's team voluntarily dismissed the action against Rokita and his office, saying doing so would allow them to preserve their victory which they say is the ruling that Rakita violated state law by publicly discussing the investigations. Now, Bernard's lawyers say their efforts will be focused on fighting the action before the Medical Licensing Board, which Welch ruled now has jurisdiction over the underlying questions in the case. There are a lot of moving parts to these proceedings. You can read each filing and court order in detail on our website. As always, we'll keep an eye on each of these lawsuits and bring you updates as they happen. Speaking of high-profile court cases, here's an update in the case against Richard Allen, the man charged with killing Delphi teens Libby German and Abby Williams. At the end of last month, Special Judge Fran Gall unsealed the probable cause affidavit supporting the murder charges against Allen. The affidavit was redacted, but a few major takeaways became public. First, an unspent bullet found between the girls' bodies in February 2017 had been cycled through a gun that Allen owned and that he said he had never let anyone borrow, according to the Associated Press. Also, the affidavit revealed that Allen had been walking on the Monon High Bridge the day Libby and Abby went missing, the same bridge the girls had visited that day, according to AP. Also, three juvenile witnesses claimed they saw a male walking away from the bridge wearing clothes that looked, quote, muddy and bloody. While Gull, serving as a special judge, allowed the probable cause affidavit to be unsealed, she also imposed a gag order on attorneys, law enforcement, court personnel, and the coroner involved in the case, AP reported. Anyone covered under the order cannot discuss the case with the public or the media directly or indirectly, including through social media. Another outstanding issue in this case is whether Allen's trial will be held in Carroll County, where Delphi is located. His team has asked the judge to move the case at least 150 miles away, arguing he could not receive a fair and impartial trial in Carroll County and the surrounding areas. We're still waiting on a ruling on the change of venue motion. We'll let you know when that comes down. Next up, we have some news about two elected judicial officials who have found themselves in some disciplinary trouble. On December 1st, Gibson Circuit Court Judge Jeffrey Meade was charged with four disciplinary charges and a filing by the Judicial Qualifications Commission. That same day, Wells County Prosecutor Andrew Carnell was publicly reprimanded by the Indiana Supreme Court. In Meade's case, the four disciplinary charges relate to his handling of two child welfare cases. In one case, a paternity action, Meade is accused of showing, quote, impatient, undignified, and discourteous behavior toward the father, 
That includes telling the father to shut up, accusing the father of passing his child off like a football, calling the father bro, and using explicit language from the bench. In the second case, a chin's action, Mead is accused of presiding over an off-the-record, unrecorded hearing in his chambers. Among the issues reported from the hearing was that exclusion of certain counsel and Mead's request that counsel for one party, but not the others, help prepare the minute entry after the hearing. The four charges against Mead include allegations that he violated six rules of the Indiana Code of Judicial Conduct. He has 20 days to respond to the charges, although he's not required to do so. Meanwhile, in the case against Carnal, the prosecutor was publicly reprimanded for his interference in an interaction between his son and law enforcement. Carnal's son had been pulled over on suspicion of operating while intoxicated. The officer called Carnal from the scene and he encouraged his son to cooperate. However, Carnal then spoke to the officer again and he was permitted to come to the scene and get his son, who was acting belligerently. His son was ultimately not arrested. According to the Indiana Supreme Court, Carnell self-reported his misconduct to the Indiana Supreme Court Disciplinary Commission and publicly and privately apologized for his actions. In addition to the reprimand, he was ordered to pay $273 for the cost of the disciplinary action. In both Meade and Carnell's cases, the incidents are their first disciplinary actions. To wrap up today's headlines, let me briefly tell you about a story I'm working on for the December 21st issue of Indiana Lawyer. This past year, multiple cases involving gender marker disputes have come before the Court of Appeals of Indiana, particularly ones where parents have petitioned to have their transgender child's gender marker changed on their birth certificates. In one consolidated case this past summer, a COA panel split twice, resulting in the Attorney General requesting the Supreme Court take the case. While plaintiffs disagreed with the AG's arguments, they agreed they wanted the high court to take the case as well. In a different case, on December 6th, the COA ruled that the judiciary had no authority on the matter and that the legislature had to make the changes. Thus, a gender marker change couldn't be made. So what are the different laws regarding gender marker changes, and what should we expect as the matter remains unresolved? I'm speaking with attorneys as well as experts on LBGTQ law about the issue. Be sure to pick up the December 21st issue of Indiana Lawyer to learn more. All right, that's it for this week's headlines. Like I mentioned at the top of the show, we won't have another episode until January. Until then, you can keep up with the latest legal news at theindianalawyer.com. Stick around after our sponsor break for our final interview of the year. We'll see you all in 2023. Taft. Today's modern law firm. At Taft, we cultivate a highly respectful, transparent workplace that fosters creativity, teamwork, inclusion, and diversity. We couple our culture with a client-first approach, rewarding lawyers who understand their clients' goals and work to deliver success. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. For this week's extended interview, from just down the hallway, we have IBJ Media President and CEO Nathan Feltman joining us in the studio. Nate, thanks so much for joining us today. Glad to be here with you. If you didn't know, Nate is the publisher of Indiana Lawyer, Indianapolis Business Journal, and the Court and Commercial Record, and CEO of Inside Indiana Business. Uh, previously, he was the CEO and co-owner of Genesis Healthcare Services, LLC, and Home Health Depot, Inc., a home medical equipment company. Uh, Nate is a lawyer. He served as a partner at the law firms of Fagery, Baker, Daniels, and Ice Miller in Indianapolis, Alzheimer and Gray in Chicago, and an associate at the Moscow, Russia office of Baker and McKenzie. His legal practice focused on representing public and private companies uh, with their merger and acquisition activities, as well as advising local governments on public-private partnerships and economic development strategies. 
Nate was appointed by Governor Mitch Daniels as Secretary of Commerce for the state of Indiana and CEO of the Indiana Economic Development Corporation from 2006 to 2008. From 2005 to 2006, he served as Executive Vice President and General Counsel to the IEDC. Nate is an IU Kelly School of Business and IU McKinney School of Law grad, served on numerous boards with IU. We were discussing beforehand, you've also served on numerous boards <laughs> uh, throughout Indiana. So to begin, Nate, uh, I'm going to give you the same question we give pretty much all of our guests. Why did you decide to become a lawyer? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, I wanted to do a lot of different things in life. And for some reason, early in in life, and I had the idea that maybe law could be a path that uh, would give me exposure to lots of different types of situations. I also had a, a strangely a, a strong interest when I was growing up in in uh, what was going on geopolitically. I think I was fortunate probably to be influenced by a relative, my uncle, who had made a trip to the Soviet Union, and he influenced me a lot, just some of the stories that he came back with. And so I got really interested in what was happening in the world. And as I went down to IU as a freshman, uh, I began to to take some really interesting courses like arms control classes and business classes. And I just started to think about what field and what you know, professional school perhaps would give me the best opportunity to be engaged in some really interesting things at a really interesting time in the world, which was the late 80s and early 90s, as which when I was down at IU, that's 88 to 92. And as you know, Jordan, there were a lot of inter interesting things happening in the world with the, uh, the Berlin Wall coming down and uh, the Soviet Union collapsing later in 91. Uh, these things, these events happened while I was an undergrad. And so I couldn't wait to eventually to get to law school. Because I thought, how am I going to get myself, perhaps, and I'm studying Russian language, by the way. I also um, have, a, have a degree from the College of Arts and Sciences as well as business school. And um, taking Russian language, I just thought, gosh, what, you know, what, with what's going on in the world, uh, to know Russian language at that time might be an asset. And I was interested in business and, and law. So um, when I went, I went to the Soviet Union in 90, 1990 as an undergrad, and it's then when I, it was cemented that I wanted to go to law school. And I thought, gosh, you know, there's going to be a lot of businesses coming to the, so you know, the former Soviet Union. It felt like things were going to open up, and they did. And so I couldn't wait with my law degree to get back there, in which I, which I did. I went back during law school and I went back after and practiced law in Moscow in the 90s. A very fascinating, interesting place in a much different world than, of course, we're, we're living in today. I'm going to go a little out of order, Jordan, but since we're talking about your time in Moscow, tell us a bit more about that and, and what that experience was like. It couldn't have been more interesting. At that time, it was the place that everybody was talking about. So the, the world was talking about, you know, you had 70 years of communism. So the world was talking about the changes that were taking place in the, the, prior, the, the previous Soviet Union and, and the new Russia. So the, the, the great part as a, as a young lawyer was that I had the advantage uh, not knowing, you know, when you graduate from law school, you, you, you know a little bit. You, law schools teach you how to think, problem solve, uh, have some analytical skills, write. But the, the practice of law is where you start really learning skill sets. And so going, going to Russia, I had the advantage that there were 
and there were no Russian lawyers that knew, you know, in the new economy, they were used to the Soviet system, which is completely different than uh, a market economy legal system. And so as I got there, I, I wasn't disadvantaged to the Russian lawyers and all the Western lawyers. And there were uh, many that were setting up firms and who I got to know. They were all trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to uh, negotiate contracts in this new system? New laws were coming on the books every single day. So new law on corporations, new law on intellectual property, new real estate laws, you name it, there were new laws coming on the books. So for a young lawyer, it couldn't have been more interesting to be there and try to figure out. Of course, the court system was completely underdeveloped. And so you didn't know whether what you were drafting and the contracts that you're writing, how well they would hold up. You'd always have to have jurisdictionally contracts that were arbitrated in places like New York or or somewhere in Europe. And so it was it was a for a, a young guy just out of law school, I mean it it couldn't have been more fascinating. It was a wild time. Did you find that the skills you developed in Russia were transferable when you came back to practice here? Yeah, the most important skill was thinking on my feet uh because you know, we I got thrown right in. I was fortunate enough and because it was just new to everybody, I got thrown into dealing with clients like the general counsel of Ford Motor Company. I mean, here's here's a here's a 25-year-old, you know, recent graduate from law school, you know, dealing with the 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 general counsel of Ford Motor Company who's setting up, you know, Ford Credit for the very first time in the prior in the previous Soviet Union and um trying to figure out how to how to do that. Uh so the skill set of thinking on your feet um, you know, learning how to, if you don't know something, say, let me get back to you on that. Um, you know, these are all skills that, you know, as you, as you climb the, the ladder, whether in a law firm or solo practice, uh, you know, we, we don't always have all the answers, but, you know, lawyers are trained to try to figure them out and problem solve. And, and so problem solving, thinking on your feet, uh, client relationship, you know, developing client relationships. I mean, those are all skills that successful lawyers, um, you know, do develop and, those are the ones that I was fortunate enough to just get thrown in and, and had to had to learn uh, on the spot. So it was, um, you know, I was dealing with people much my senior and that was a great advantage. I had great mentors, which, you know, is, is key in, in legal practice. Uh, Mitch Daniels will soon retire as president of Purdue University. How did working for the governor's office um, change your views on the law? Now, that's a good question. You know, the most important piece there is, and this is, you know, lawyers are, are notorious for raising their hand when uh, there are needs in the community. And so I would relate my experience there to a lot of a lot of lawyers. I was I was one who who rose their hand and said, "I want to be part of uh, what Mitch Daniels offered." And that was change, uh, change in Indiana, and uh, and you know, as um, as he liked to say, aiming higher. You know, that's that's the spirit that you know we all that volunteered to go into those jobs and left law firms and left. You know, there there are a lot of lawyers that uh, participated in that change. One of the things that just sticks out in my mind is the importance of public service. Um, it doesn't matter what party affiliation or what ideologies you have. I mean, it's just important that smart, hardworking, driven people will 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 say yes when there's an opportunity. And a lot of them did say yes and continue to say yes. 
discuss for for administrations. But um, working with um, with Mitch Daniels and uh, now my my uh, you know co owner here at IBJ, Mickey Maurer, was uh, the professional, the best professional experience of my life. I mean, uh, I've had a lot of great ones. Uh, the one we just talked about in Russia was one of them. But uh, to work with the caliber of those two individuals that came at their jobs with integrity, with uh, hard work and new ideas, that that was rewarding. And 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 I and I just say that. Lawyers, you know, they serve. They, they, you know, that's their that's their job. That's a calling. That's why you know a lot of lawyers go to law school, is because they wanna they wanna serve their clients. They wanna serve the community. And um, we're fortunate. We've got some great firms and and in, in town and 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 practitioners who say I want I want to do a lot in the community, and and they do. Kind of building off that, you know, what kind of impact do you feel like Mitch has made on this state? Yeah, it's it's hard to put into words my feelings on that. The number one thing that, and he just talked about this last night at, at an event, I, I'm on the board of the Mitch Daniels Leadership Foundation. And uh, the one one thing that he talked about and that I think he has had an impact on is Hoosiers being open to change. And if you read Indiana history books and you, and you read about Hoosiers in general through the last couple of centuries, one of the things that's often said in some of those books is that Hoosiers have been a little resistant to change, conservative, not in the political uh, sense, but uh, conservative values and, and conservative people. Um, and, and Mitch brought, you know, the idea that, you know, we if we want to be competitive, if we want to uh, give people of no matter what your background is, opportunity to participate in a significant way in, in life and in civic life and economic life, that we've got to try some new things. Things and that hopefully will be good for the entire you know, population of, of you know six point eight million Hoosiers. So that idea that you know of of change and being open to change and realizing that we live in a world that's constantly changing is is one of the most significant. You could you could name off you know dozens of policy things that uh, he accomplished that were, were I think were positive for the state. But uh, the one I know that he he thinks because he said it last night is is one of the most important is just that you know Hoosiers being open to change and and uh, and willing to to do even better for not just the you know the the folks who are fortunate enough to go to law school and do all those things. But for every citizen uh, that's even growing up in tough circumstances, how, how do we, you know, uh, give a hand out to help, you know, raise everybody? And that's one thing that I'm proud of that, that he that's how he thinks and that's how he acted. Two part question. So first, kind of looking back over Jordan, read your background, you've gravitated toward more business entrepreneurial side of things. So I guess first part, how did the law kind of influence that and how you approach business? And second, how did you end up here with us in the media business? Yeah. So I would credit law with my sincere interest in business. Um, I, I, when I went to law school, as you heard earlier, I, I was thinking about trying to participate in what was going on in the world in the, in the former Soviet Union and uh, in the, in the, that was moving towards a market economy. And I, I believe that focusing on business and you know contracts law and, and business law was going to be the best way to actually have an opportunity to do that. It turned out to be uh, at least that path worked out for, for me. I've always had an interest in business as, as a kid and I, and I never 
thought that I would end up uh, practicing law uh, forever at a law firm. I always, I, but I viewed it as incredible, and it was incredible experience uh, working with corporations, private equity firms, you name it, business people who. I saw them building, you know, the a business and 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 how important to to the community it was in those circumstances that they were doing their jobs as entrepreneurs, as business people. They were hiring people and giving people an opportunity to work. And um, I I always thought to myself when I was uh, representing those those uh, companies that one day I wanted to be on the other end of the phone <laughs> that I was I was calling a, a lawyer for help on. And so uh, I have through uh, when I did make the jump. Uh, when I left what was then Baker and Daniels to uh, join a, a healthcare company called Home Health Depot and, and Genesis, as Jordan mentioned, I brought those skill sets, the mergers and acquisitions skill sets with me. And, and so it was really helpful. I, I, we did five acquisitions in three years uh, with that company. And um, in most of the companies I've been associated with, we, we do acquisitions. We did one here at IBJ. We bought Inside Indiana Business last year. And so the skill set that I developed as a lawyer and with um, great law firms, I, I was lucky to be at four really great law firms and have great mentors and people at each one um, have, have made, a, made a huge difference in my ability to, I think, be successful um, as, as much as I have been anyway in, in business. What about the media business in particular? What was your interest in this? Yeah, there's a one one guy responsible for my interest in the media business. I bet I can guess. And you can guess who that <laughs> is. It is it Mickey Mauer? It's Mickey Mauer. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I had the fortunate opportunity, as I mentioned earlier, when when I worked uh, with Mitch Daniels, it was Mickey Mauer who, who reached out to me and said, why don't you come work with me with Mitch uh, for a couple of years? And it ended up being uh, four years at uh, Mitch's first term, you know. I had no idea I'd end up in the media business. I had no idea to end up in the healthcare business. I also happen to be in another business I never thought I'd end up, which is uh, the uh, liquor industry. Um, <laughs> so, you know, life takes uh, interesting paths. But when uh, we sold our healthcare company back in 2017, you know, Mickey approached me with about the opportunity. He he views IBJ Media as do I, and um, you know, working with Mickey for over 20 years now rubbed off on me that the importance of having a locally owned uh, company that's focused on the, our community, uh, a media company that's focused on what's happening here, the important things, and calling out things when that need to be called out in our community. It's been a real just honor and joy for me to be part of of uh, the history of the IBJ, and uh, I'm excited to be a part of it for many many years to come. Kind of building off that again, um, well, you know, why do you feel that's important that we have a publication like Indiana Lawyer? You know, I, I've been a student of of government uh, in different political systems, and um, I've always believed and and you know been fortunate enough to to see it in action. When I was part of, uh, I've been you know around government in different capacities. One with Mitch Daniels, but I've had some other experiences too. I've always believed that the the role that the media plays in terms of the you know the uh, the the fourth estate, you know, of of holding um, public officials uh, accountable is important. Report on what's happening is, is you know, and keeping the community aware of, of what's happening and really uh, simply act, you know, being a, a megaphone and a microphone like we're talking right now about, you know, important things that, you know, that are transformative or opportunities, challenges uh, that are happening in the community. So I, I, you know, didn't quite realize how important until I, I, I took the opportunity to, to uh, be a part of, of IBJ and the Indiana Lawyer and, uh, you know, now inside the Indiana Business 
business. But I see such, you know, a, an opportunity for us to play even more significant role because of the challenge in the media landscape uh, that we all know about uh, in terms of the, the the shifts and 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 you know we're we're doing well, um, but I want us to do even better in terms of covering the entire state, and that and that's why we we were interested in acquiring Inside Indiana Business uh, and do even more and uh, reporting. And so um, I've, I'm loving it, and uh, and, and so happy that uh, I made the decision to, to to join. So we always end by asking guests what they want listeners to know about them, and we'll mm. pose that to you in the context of you know being the publisher of these three media outlets. What what should we know about you? Gosh, that's a I should I should have <laughs> listened to the podcast a little. That's more, right. <laughs> a, little, uh, a, a little more frequently, apparently, and, and remember that that's what you're going to ask. You know, I think. Uh, one thing I kind of referenced a little bit is that, um, you know, I want IBJ and our, our affiliated entities, the Indiana lawyer, the inside Indiana business. I want us to be a part of this community for, you know, for forever. I mean, as long as I'm around. And uh, so I'm a guy who's up for a challenge and like challenges that when I entered healthcare, it was really challenging time uh, to be in healthcare. Uh, when I entered media, a lot of people said, now, why are you doing that? Media is such under, you know, so many struggles and challenges. And I actually, whenever, when I see a challenge, I think opportunity. So maybe that's, that's the, that's the thing that I would say is that um, I often view challenges as opportunities when some people are running away from something that tells me that maybe there's, there's opportunities for somebody who wants to come in and be creative and thoughtful and find good people and teammates to work together to build something. So um, that's, that's kind of one of the things that, that uh, maybe, you know, I would be responding to that question. One of the things that kind of makes me tick. I like, I like a challenge. I think it's one of the reasons why I love the practice of law. When I was practicing, I learned so much, but I was ready for the next challenge. And everything I've done in my professional life has, has been about trying to learn something new and be challenged in some way. I'm going to throw a slight curveball. It's not going to be the last question. Oh. <laughs> so you've worked, you've worked multiple places, but are continuing to call Indianapolis home. Why are you invested in this community for the long haul? That's a good question and important one. This community is just special. I And I didn't quite realize how special it was really until I left it for, you know, nine, 10 years, which I did after graduating from law school. And I lived and worked in, in Moscow. And then I lived in Chicago for five years practicing law. There was always, I remember even telling people in, in Moscow, and that was in the early days of me practicing law there, that I thought I'd end up back in Indiana. It's just a special community in terms of people want to help people here and and they do and and their you know volunteerism is unbelievable in this community we always you know report on how many volunteers show up for all the you know events when we host super bowl or the final four and all those types of things there are so many people who are invested in this community and it, it's just special it's a special place i think if you have the initiative in this community and really want to do something that the doors are open here and and i've heard often and uh, i've traveled a lot around the country especially when i was in the role of secretary of commerce that not every community is like that where you can and sometimes it depends on what school you went to or high school or college and in this in this town, the door is open. Uh, if you want it, to, if you want something, and you want to learn something, or you want to be part of something, uh, whether it's a board, whether it's a volunteer opportunity, there are people who will who will make sure that you get an opportunity. That's pretty special, and it's not and that's not in every single community throughout our country. And um, we've seen through the history of Indianapolis that um, people 
care more than just about their own company, their own welfare. They care about the community. And that's been a feature for decades here. And that's what makes me want to always be here and, and never want to be anywhere else. That'll do it for this week's episode. Thanks again to IBJ Media Publisher and CEO Nate Feltman for joining us. To catch up on previous episodes of the Indiana Lawyer podcast, be sure to visit theindianalawyer.com or your favorite streaming service. And I'll just add that this is our last episode of 2022. We will see you in 2023. Awesome. Thanks, guys. 